for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You know, we, we recognize the, the ability of the roster that's, that's put together right now. And I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to 200 and fifty dollars. Andrew DeCecco will give us some thoughts on the game last night. Where does this team go from here? You know, it has been a conversation for weeks now, Andrew, regarding uh, is it Doug Peterson? Is it Carson Wentz? I don't know if last night cleared up that conversation one bit. However, I definitely think now that you have a new conversation coming in. What happens next? Because Carson Wentz can't go anywhere with that contract. I guess the next question is Doug Peterson was really pressed today. If you listen to his press conference, he was asked multiple times about his job security in about five different ways. Um, I guess that's the big question now is in December, is Doug Peterson coaching for his job as the Philadelphia Eagles head coach? Yeah, I think he is, Mike. And you heard what Sal Powell said yesterday. He finds it hard to believe that Doug Peterson can survive a three or four win season. Judging by Doug's body language, he kind of he kind of gets a sense that he understands that. And you know, where you hit the nail on the head, where do they go from here? He was asked today. He was pressed about relinquishing play calling duties, and that didn't. It still doesn't sound like he has any intention of doing that. He seemed almost offended at the at the notion of uh, that someone would even present that to him because he he doesn't think that he's struggling. Uh, I mean, so you're going to continue to see the same bumps in the road on the on the offensive side of the football, that sluggish offense that's just overall inept on on every level. And like you said, they're not moving away from the quarterback. The quarterback's contract is not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. You just said something that's kind of interesting in, in the fact that. Um, you know, with Doug Peterson, he said, you know, I'm not, he kind of got offended by the question when asked about it. Do you get the feeling at this point that Doug wants to be here? No, I don't. I don't get that sense that he wants to be here. And you kind of get, you kind of get the overall vibe that he wants to have full control and he wants to he, he kind of wants to have full say over who who plays who doesn't play not have that watchful eye over him and things like that that's an interesting that's an interesting you know point you bring up in terms of he wants full say because there's been a lot of talk Sal Powell said it yesterday that there has been a collaborative effort in the front office in other words on draft day when they make the decision to draft Jalen Hurts and Doug was asked about this today, and he was very forth, like, why would you ask me that question? Everybody signs off on it. Doug Peterson, Howie Roseman, Jeff Lurie. That has been kind of out in the open, that it's a collaborative effort in the front office. In other words, hey, do you want J.J. Ortega-Whiteside? Everybody agrees. Yes, that's the pick. So we all want to blame Howie, but Doug Peterson agrees. Jeff Lurie is basically the one signing off on it. Same problem with any other missed pick we want to go down and revisit. So is Doug Peterson playing the company line saying, yeah, we're collaborative, but I don't like this collaboration. That's kind of the vibe that I was getting is that, 
hey, you know, we're collaborating, but, you know, if I had my voice, if I had my druthers, Mike, these aren't the guys that I'm taking. Um, you know, you, you, you go down the line and look at J.J. Arcega-Whiteside when I had the need of the safety. A one Thornhill might have been a good pick there. A third-round pick might have been better used on Deontay Johnson. Just a lot of things like that. When you look at the offense yesterday, what stood out to you the most? Was it the missed throws by Carson Wentz? Was it the fact that Miles Sanders only had six carries? Was it the offensive line, the lack of separation? I mean, the problem is there's so many options to choose from. What stood out to you most? Well, Hunter, I would say there's a, there's a multitude of things. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues to that offense. And the first thing I would say is guys aren't getting open, right? Guys just simply aren't getting open and – when they are getting open, Carson's not having time to see to deliver the football. He's also not seeing them. Alshon Jeffrey got open on the second play of the game. Greg Ward was open and he missed them. Um, and then there's the, the protection, the protection breakdown aspect of it, where you know you have a guy like Jordan Mailata who's playing, who by the way graded as the second overall best lineman for Week 12. And then you have you know just Matt Pryor struggling, and they get away from the running game, and it's just uh, it's just kind of a series of unfortunate events there. <laughs> Andrew, how about, how, yeah, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, how about the Jalen Hurts package? I mean, we did hear that we would see him more, and then Doug Peterson kind of downplayed it. and Like, he, he gets out there, and then you have the false start. But then you have a nice completion, and then instantly he's brought out of the game. Carson Wentz gets sacked. Then Carson Wentz goes out there again with Jalen Hurts, and he's that wide receiver. I just feel they have literally no clue what they are doing with this kid, and it's unfortunate for him. I didn't like the pick, but this is not the best way that he can be utilized. Oh, you're 100% right. That was one of the things that you kind of see the offense is sputtering, and they're looking to find a spark, and they put in Jalen Hurts. He completes a six-yard pass. Then they take him out. What was the point of that? What did you accomplish by doing that? And I really do think that it was Doug's weird way of trying to get some semblance of offense. You, you look in the second quarter, I believe they didn't get a first down until four minutes into it. And then you take him out and he, he basically said that he was trying to create a spark and, you know, he didn't really have the opportunities to put Jalen Hurts in the game, which I guess you could say, you know, they were, tra- they were only trailing by one score. It was a fairly close game throughout. I guess you could say that, but, you know, just stick with one guy, commit to him, which is going to be Carson Wentz. And, you know, assess what you have in the offseason. This back and forth, throwing in Jalen Hurts here and there. If you're going to play him, give him a series. Let's see what he can do out there. Throwing him in for a play here and a play there isn't benefiting Carson, not benefiting Jalen Hurts or the team. Well, here's the issue. Uh, Andrew, Jeff Mosher reported yesterday that Jeff Lurie was the one that said, hey, if uh, basically like, hey, we want you to play Hurts. It sounds like the front office leaked out hey, Hurts is going to play more this week, with the hopes that that message sparked Peterson to make the move. Well, Peterson all week long was not on board with that. When every time he was asked, he said, no, he's not practicing any more or less than what he normally practices. So I said it yesterday. You should not be surprised if you don't see Hurts at all because, quite frankly, Peterson doesn't want to play Hurts. So... They have put themselves in this situation where they drafted this kid. It's a second-round pick. Now you feel like he has to play because the other quarterback's not playing well. So I don't know who takes the blame for taking a quarterback in the second round and using them uh, the way they are. But that has to fall on somebody, and it can't be the head coach, right? Yeah, I mean, it has to fall on the decision-makers, Mike, is who it needs to fall on because there's obvious disconnect there. 
You have someone who, like the front office, they want to play Jalen Hurts because they committed to him, they invested in him, and then you have Doug Peterson, who, by all accounts, is a Carson Wentz guy. That's that's his guy. He wants to stand by him and let him work through this. And there's a disconnect, and and that's what you see, almost almost like he's trying to figure out a way to kind of find the the best the best way to utilize both to keep everyone happy. And what you're kind of seeing is. It's just a very awkward, you know, the offense is lacking cohesion, and it just seems like he's trying to make, you know, everyone happy here. I'm not saying that in a draft, especially the first year of these draft class players, that they need to just be these world beaters right from the jump, but you are definitely struggling from this most recent draft when it comes to production. So let's look at Jalen Rager. It was highlighted a couple of times that he failed to get some separation, and we're talking about Seattle, who has a really bad historic pass defense. What did you see out of Jalen Rager? Yeah, you're spot on with that assessment, Hunter. With Jalen Rager, he he still has a long way to go as a route runner. And without, I, I hate going back to this, but without having a, with, with having a truncated off season, where you're not really able to nail down the finer nuances of the position. You're kind of thrown in there. Obviously you've seen other rookies like Justin Jefferson translate seamlessly to the NFL level. There are different types of players. Dylan Rager is more of an explosive player. That's what they were going for. And Justin Jefferson was by all accounts to be, he was perceived to be a more polished guy, but was a slot outside type guy. But you're obviously saying that he's the full, he's the real deal. He has the full package, but with Jalen Rager, he still has issues in his game that he needs to work through. It was a little disappointing to not see him get behind the secondary, that poor Seattle secondary. And, um, you know, you kind of got to wonder if it's not going to happen against that team. um, When is it going to happen? Find ways to get him the football and keep him engaged and keep him confident. Get him the ball on screens. They tried that last night. It didn't work. But there has to be ways where you get the ball into your first-round pick's hands to kind of keep that confidence in him and also keep him invested moving forward to play out these last uh, these last five games. Andrew DeCecco, Football of Four, here powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And, you know, one thing is, look, they outlined on the broadcast a lot of things last night. I mean, if you're watching that as Eagles fans, it was like in real time watching this drama unfold of, well, there's a guy open and he's not throwing the ball. And here's a guy open and he's, you know, not making the decision. To me, Andrew, and you watch a lot of film and you study players, the play calling is not great. It could be better, sure. But. I feel like when it's convenient, we say guys aren't open. Well, if they run 70 plays and 30 times there's somebody open, there's 30 opportunities. And the problem is we're giving them a pass by saying these guys aren't getting open all the time. They're guys open. His indecisiveness is killing them. There's guys open. We might not like the result of that open play. In other words, Greg Ward does a quick little curl He's open for four yards. Carson doesn't throw that ball. And the next thing you know is he takes the sack. The play might only result in four or five yards, which isn't huge. But now instead of second and ten, it's second and five. Those indecisiveness, that indecisiveness to me is telling me the story that Wentz has no confidence. So, yes, Peterson can do a better job. But if you can't, could complete the most basic of operations in an offense, which is just completely completing a four-yard pass just to move the down and distance up a little bit, that's telling me that Wentz has much bigger problems than just the play calling. Yeah, you said it, Mike. And I caution fans to look at the big picture and 
definitely don't absolve Carson Wentz of, of anything just because the offensive line and isn't isn't shambles and the play calling isn't what we all expected going into the season. You're right, Mike. There are plays where these guys are getting open. Granted, some of these plays aren't the most uh, advantageous for offense. We're talking about four-yard gains here, seven-yard gain there, but Greg Ward was open on multiple occasions. Jalen Rager had an opportunity to get uh, get involved on, on some short screens. Alshon Jeffrey, if he throws that ball on the line down the, down the left sideline, I believe it was in the second or third quarter, you can hit these big games. Guys are getting open. Um, Travis Fulgham didn't get a target, I believe, until the fourth quarter. There are certain and, – and what I will say this is that the Eagles – coaching staff needs to do a better job of scheming these guys open. Um, I'll tell you it goes on the quarterback, but a lot of it also goes on the coaching staff about getting, finding ways to play these guys' strengths, get these guys open, move them around, and do some things. Because obviously what they're doing every week is not working. So you need to find other areas, other, other channels to get the football to these guys because – you know, what you're seeing is, is, is just, you know, abysmal quarterback play and just an, an atrocious offense. I want to touch on something that Seth Joyner said after the game. And, and Adam Kaplan says this, too, about Doug Peterson when it comes to coaching up the coaches. And that might not be his strongest point. So when you look at these wide receiver coaches, well, let's fire this guy. Let's fire this guy. Let's fire Carson Walsh. They continue to fire these wide receiver coaches. You're, you're seeing the same production out of some of these receivers at the line of scrimmage. At what point does that fall on the head coach? Essentially, how much stock do you put on the head coach coaching up his coaching staff as well as part of his job? I think that's a really underrated issue that, that, that is prevalent around this team. And how many times, like you said, are you going to keep swapping out receivers coaches? They've had a new receivers coach every season since 2015, I believe when it was uh, Bob Bicknell, and then they went to Greg Lewis. They, how, how often are you going to keep changing out these coaches and the receiver is going to continuously have the same issues, getting off press coverage, tracking the football, et cetera, et cetera. It's just the same things that are continuously problematic. And I think at some point you need to take a look at, okay, uh, is Doug coaching his coaches hard enough? Is he, implement, is he on these guys about what they need to be really harping on? Or is he kind of just letting them just do you know continuously do what they what they do? And I think that's a fair point. And like you know you can't. I mean, you, it's not just the wide receiver position, the wide receiver coaches. You look across the board, um, and, and you know to different degrees. But the running back rotation is always sporadic and um, and, and things of that nature. So I mean, it, I think that's a fair point. Or is he coaching his coaches hard enough? Uh, we're talking with Andrew DeCecco, of course, football at four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. So much uh, to dive into on the problems this team has. Now, I don't absolve the offensive line has a lot of issues. Now, part of the problem is they got guys all over the place injured. Peters is playing guard. Um, prior, I thought he struggled early. They settled in a little later. My Lotta, you mentioned, I thought had a pretty good, uh, did a pretty good job and had a really nice block. I guess it was on the two point conversion run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so he had some moments, but that line in general. When you have the problems that you have on the offensive line, this goes back to the indecisiveness. You know you're getting pressure. So if you miss that first read, you have to anticipate pressure is going to come because you know that line sucks. So that's a big problem is that the Eagles can't fix that right now. And that's another thing that the quarterback has to understand is that is going to be a problem. So I have to make that first read and get it out. So – He's not throwing picks now because he's taking sacks. So my question is, there's a lot of sacks, and people are saying, well, the line's a problem. A lot of those sacks are on the quarterback. Yeah, and and, and uh, Russell Wilson was getting hit a, a fair amount too. He gets outside the pocket and he finds other ways to, 
kind of get the football out to his playmakers. You have to know going into this game that the offensive line is going to continuously be problematic and find ways to kind of work around that issue, get the ball out quickly. Uh, He holds on to the ball way too long. He's doing a better job of getting rid of the football, but he's still holding on to it way too long. And you have to go through If your first read's not there, boom, you got to get rid of it. You got to get it out to your second read. You have to, he's not seeing the field well, and he's also not processing things quick enough. And I think that's another big issue, you know, throughout this whole season. Well, and, and that's where we keep saying, well, guys aren't open. That first read, you mentioned Greg Ward, he's open. You might not love the result of three, four, five yards, but the whole thing is predicated on, and this is where they won last year, Andrew. They won with four yards to Ward, four yards to Perkins, four yards to, I can't even remember some of these, Rob Davis. I mean, these weren't. And that's they, another thing. That's, a, that's another thing I wanted to say, Mike. It's last season, he was able to do, like they, this season, you're hearing about the lack of weapons, guys not getting open. Uh, the offensive line's not playing well. Okay, well, the offensive line wasn't playing. They weren't world beaters at the end of the season last year in December when they made that run. The, the weapons were far worse than what he has to work with right now. So at some point, these excuses are really going to run dry here, and you have to you know, attack the problem. And right now, he's just a quarterback that's not playing very well. He's in a rut, and he's not seeing the field well. Yeah, I'm not trying to discredit that point because they did play a lot better last season at the end, but they did play really bad teams, and, you know, it it did come down to playing the Giants, playing Washington. I I do think that that played a role, but that's not to discredit what you guys are saying because I think that there's a lot of value there. I want to get your thoughts on Miles Sanders, specifically in the passing game. What is going on? Because he is dropping a lot of these balls, and we talk about the inaccuracy of Wentz, which plays a role in a lot of things, but... There are plenty of opportunities that I see for Miles Sanders to simply make the catch, and he's not doing that. Yeah, you're right, Hunter. And that was one of the most baffling things to me going uh, from last night. It's like the Eagles are trying – Doug Peterson's trying to simplify the game plan as much as he can for Carson Wentz with short throws and everything like that. And when he does deliver the football, guys like Miles Sanders are coming up with egregious drops week in and week out. And all of a sudden, you, you, you know, you're behind the sticks. And, and that's why, and that w- that's what leads to, you know, poor play. And you, and you get behind and, and then you get away from the run and everything starts. And, you know, every, it's the same story every week. Things start to spiral out of control. But these are, these are plays that Miles Sanders absolutely has to make. You got to help your quarterback a little bit here as well. Yeah, um, there's no question I'm disappointed the way Sanders is because I thought out of the backfield last year he did a really good job. Uh, but uh, I do want to ask Ant to go to a point. And I want to touch on a couple of news things today. We just talked about Wentz a lot and all the problems, yada, 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 yada. The question, I guess, really that needs to be asked is, is he fixable? Yeah, I, I heard it. I guess the word that they threw to Doug today was salvageable. Um, I, I do think that he's salvageable. And I think that when you get a new coaching staff in place, whether it be offensive coordinator, whatever, when you have – there's going to be some sort of a turnover next year. And then you want to see how he transitions and how he adapts to that change. If you, if you're still seeing the same things, the same tendencies, the same issues that they keep, you know, resurfacing. Okay. Well then you, you have a problem, which is why you, it's important that you, that you have to, you have to know for a plan B what you have in Jalen hurts in some form or fashion. But I, I think that he is salvageable with, with, with a new, just a clean slate, just, Start over, get get a. Hopefully, you get a a, a regular off season, uh, a true offensive coordinator, a new quarterbacks coach that can really nail down some of those tendencies, or have him get away from some of those tendencies and and be the quarterback that he was in, in 2017 and 2018. All right, real quick, couple things. Uh, Will Parks was released today. Why? 
And um, not that he was doing much, but that whole thing. You mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Why not play him at safety, move Mills over, because you're having so many problems with Maddox. They never really did that. Uh, Parks played about 10 plays last night. They just cut him today. Uh, what's, what do you, how do you read into that? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Mike. Uh, I did a film breakdown on Will Parks for InsideTheBirds.com back in March when they signed him, and there were, some, there were some things that I really liked that he did, but there were also some areas of his game that I thought, hmm, I, I think that's going to be problematic or, or it's going to – I don't know that he's going to be, you know, the second coming of Brian Dawkins or anything like that, like he was kind of being touted as. And he was also – and Jeff Mosher made a great point when he was signed. He was getting all these accolades, but he was signed to a minimum deal for a veteran. You know, I, obviously he took, he, took, uh, he took less money to play for his, home, his hometown – um, he had other offers from the Minnesota Vikings, of course, but I, I mean, I liked him. I liked the signing from a versatility standpoint, and unfortunately, he got hurt and, and didn't wasn't active until week six. But he really never factored into the defensive equation. He was supposed to be this versatile chess piece that could play corner, that could play nickel, that could play that hybrid linebacker role, that could play you know the single high safety role, and he was supposed to challenge Jalen Mills for for playing time and even a starting job. And that just never materialized. And what I think happened was the coaching staff, they put him out there. They saw what they had in him in practice. And they, they probably, I mean, he was almost dealt at the trade that his, he was dangling. His name was dangling in the trade deadline. So obviously there was a disconnect there and they weren't really seeing what they envisioned when they signed him. And I think that right now, when you have a, a young safety and Marcus Epps, who they really like, and, and, and a rookie in Kayvon Wallace, and you're, you know, you're sitting there at three, seven, and one, and you're like, okay, well, let's see if we can get these guys some playing time, which is going to be valuable for these guys going, you know, in in the future. And it, it just wasn't working out with Will Parks. It just wasn't a great fit. Since we're on the defensive side of the ball, DK Metcalf had ten receptions, 177 yards on Darius Slay. I thought Darius Slay had some pretty solid coverage, and DK Metcalf just went up and made the play. But what did you think about his overall play? Because with Darius, it's like I did think he was there at times. Now he got beat too. It's just did DK Metcalf just make the plays, and that's who he is, and no one can really stop him. <laughs> if you remember yesterday, I said that DK was was essentially. You know, uh, he couldn't, you couldn't, he's scheme proof. You can't really, you can't stop DK. I mean, outside of Jalen Ramsey, he really has, teams have really, you know, struggled to find a way to stop this guy. And what you're saying is just a great player. You know, he's, he kind of reminds me of, of T.O. and his body type and the way he gets after the football and his speed and physicality. I mean, he's just a great player. Like you said, there were plays where Darius Slay was there. And and DK just made a better play on the football. And he I, I Jeff made a great point on the Inside the Birds podcast that um, Darius Slay struggled also with uh, Chase Claypool, who also has some some length to him and 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 can high point the football and attack the football in the air and and all those things. And yeah, Slay is a lengthy corner, but it, but some of these big guys that with their body control, they get this positioning on him, and and it makes it, it makes for a tough cover. And you know, credit to Darius Slay, he owned his performance. He said that was the worst game I ever played in this league, and he lost every fifty fifty ball. And if you if you saw his reaction after the game, you had, I mean. He knows what he's up against this week in Devontae Adams, and and that that if he has anything close to a game like he had yesterday, I mean the Eagles are in for for a long day. Uh, Andrew DeCecco at a DeCecco NFL football at four powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, there's so much more to dive into in this game, uh, and of course, he like August appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Eagles Packers will have uh, that next week. We'll talk to Andrew about that uh, when he returns to football at four. Thanks, pal. My pleasure, guys. Take care. All right, there he goes. Uh, by the way, 
Over at Inside the Birds, Jeff Mosher uh, wrote this, which makes me laugh. Because it says, Wentz was far from perfect and missed opportunities, but he also did just enough to stay on the field. If that's just enough to stay on the field, oh my gosh. Like, the fact that they were like, oh, he's just good enough that we can't replace him right now. Like, what are the standards? You know what I mean? Like, what? Well, I think it's because the touchdown at the end of half. Right, but like, what would be, what would be the low bar to get you yanked from a game if that doesn't get there? Because, the answer is it's it already should have happened. This is benchable football. Right, it was benchable in the first quarter when you're already like that goes back to the point that I'm talking about with the whole report that Hertz was going to play more. If that was true, and that they had intentions of playing him more, you would have no argument from anybody that they put Hertz in that game to say, look, you had three series. You couldn't move the ball an inch. We're going to we're gonna change it up, see what happens. They put him in. He actually threw a pass. You see what happens when you throw a nice pass? The guy caught it in stride. I mean, it was nice. And I was like, oh, this is new. A nice pass. The guy was not all that open, but he threw it to him where he could catch it. And then they took him out of the game. I don't get it. I don't get it. That tells me all I need to know. Peterson doesn't want to be here. And he said, yeah. You want to play Hertz? You'll get to see him next year because I'm out of here. Sports Bash Live 97.3. John Clayton will get his thoughts next. Locked into South Jersey's number one sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill. On 97.3 ESPN-FM. John Clayton of the Washington Post, longtime Hall of Fame NFL writer. Over at the Washington Post, he has five weeks remaining in the season. It seems like this season just started. Now it's just about to end. It's ended for Eagles fans, it seems like, a long time ago. But NFL owners are starting to make changes. And he writes about teams that are possibly looking to make changes. Some already have, Broads. The Lions have fired their coach. We already saw Atlanta fired their coach. Jacksonville's GM got fired. So changes are coming. He did not include one team on that list. But I'm sure John Clayton watched that game last night and is hearing what's going on here in Philadelphia. And I wonder, John, if you are about ready to add Doug Peterson's name or Howie Roseman's name. Is Jeff Laurie thinking about things, seeing what's going on with his team, and seeing what's going on around the league? Yeah, I think you have to start thinking about it now. There's no question because it's not going well. I mean, that's not good. Not going well is an understatement. It looked awful, and you know because I had, the column obviously came out Tuesday morning, and so it, uh, well, I, you know, I had to send it on before the game. And uh, now that you look at the game, I think you have to put uh, you know Doug Peterson, Howie Roseman, and other other people under scrutiny right now. You know, Carson Wentz's contract is going to almost be impossible to try to break. And so he's going to be there. But I think what you can see is Wentz looks terrible. Doug Peterson looks lost in the play calling. And even today, he admitted he's uh, what's on the table is maybe having somebody else call the plays. And, you know, he did that. Uh, you go back to when he was in Kansas City. Remember, Andy Reid hit this one stretch where he didn't think he was doing well at the beginning of the second half. And so what he would do occasionally would be let Doug call the plays for maybe a quarter or the second half. And I don't know, something needs to be done because that offense is awful. 
It's really bad, and uh, obviously, you know, you're in a weird situation, I think, if you're the Eagles. Like, you know, casual fans would say, Howie Roseman has been the problem. They missed on DK Metcalf. He was there. They didn't take him. The Justin Jefferson was available. They went with Jalen Rieger. They took Jalen Hurts in the second round. Now they don't know what to do with him. But a lot of people feel like it's a collaborative effort in the Eagles' front office. So if that's the case, who gets blame when your roster configuration is not what you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the difficult thing that, you know, certainly that Jeff Lurie has to start to decide because if he's going to make a change, is it better? Because the one thing that is going to be tough for him is that if you let Howie go, I mean, you know, Howie kind of runs the show both on the financial side and also the personnel side, but they've, they've done a terrible job as far as drafting wide receivers. You know, and certainly, you know, letting because I mean, I was even hearing last week that there's been internal rifts about Jefferson versus Rieger, with some wanting uh, Jefferson and Jefferson right now being one of the best rookies in the league this year, and you know, Rieger just starting to come around but not doing well. You look at the receiver position, you look at the problems on the offensive line. I mean, certainly the defense looks good, but uh, overall things aren't working out there. And as far as Peterson, I mean, is he to take the fall for the bad offense, the play calling, everything else? Jeff Lurie has a very tough decision to make if he needs to make a decision. But right now, this looks like a team that's looking like it's going to have to have a decision. Considering Doug Peterson just won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, do you think it would be too quick to let him go? And I think the best way to, to kind of look at this is the question shouldn't be, do you keep a Super Bowl winning coach just because he won a Super Bowl? Does Doug Peterson give this franchise the best chance to win another one? But you still need to value that trophy at the same time. So do you think one bad season is enough for him to deserve losing that job? Well, in the big picture, probably not, but you got to face the reality of the National Football League. I mean, John Fox uh, took the Denver Broncos to the Super Bowl, and John Elway eventually fired him after a couple years. And so, you know, you have Super Bowl coaches that do well, and all of a sudden things start to go south. And this team, since the Super Bowl, has gone south. And so what do you do if you're uh, Jeff Lurie? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a solid consideration right now. And even you can see the honesty of Doug Peterson when asked about it today, even, you know, basically said that uh, you know, he's had no reassurance that he can stay on as the coach after the season. And so he's got to be in the back of his mind, because I know in the uh, for all South Jersey and all Philadelphia people around it or fans, you know, they pretty well, I think, made the decision that something's got to change, whatever it's going to be. In fact, I don't know what if you were to do a poll right now of the fans, what order would it come in? Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson or Carson Wentz? 33 and a third for each. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, John, it, it seems to change by the day, by the week. I mean, every time they play, people start picking sides. Uh, and, and that's a good thing to bring up. John Clayton, the Washington Post, he's got a great article about, uh, you know, uh, desirable landing spots. And you wonder how desirable Philadelphia would be um, with Carson Wentz. You know, before it was like, hey, we want to play because they have Carson Wentz. And now you mentioned it. They can't get rid of him. So if they want to make a major change, you would almost think it has to be either the coach or the GM. And then you mentioned the GM. It's hard to get rid of Roseman because he's done so much on the financial side. So it almost seems like Peterson is the guy. But my question for you is, John, does Peterson want to be here anymore? You just you have a whole article about jobs. Peterson's going to get a job. He doesn't need to go through this nonsense that he gets here in Philadelphia. He's won a Super Bowl. He could go and get you know softball questions in, in Denver or Chicago or something to that effect. He gets hammered here every week. He probably doesn't want to be here anymore. 
No, I think he wants to be there, but because uh, I think he wants to stay loyal to Jeff Lurie and loyal to the players on this team. But <clears throat> and that's why it's probably favoring Doug Peterson over Howie Roseman. Because think about the reality of what this team is going to be next year. What they're eighty plus million dollars over the cap, and there's going to be a lot of changes. And this is now one of the oldest teams in the National Football League, and it's got significantly younger. I mean, basically, this team is going to have to start a rebuild next year. And are they good enough to do it with Carson Wentz? I mean, a couple of years ago, it looked great. I mean, Carson Wentz comes in, they rebuild, they get to the Super Bowl, even though he was hurt at the Super Bowl, but they won it with Nick Foles. And now you look at it and you go, okay, who's going to be standing at the end of all the cap casualties? I mean, you know there's not going to be any uh, Deshaun uh, – Deshaun Jackson, and you know that uh, Alshon Jeffrey is going to be gone, and you figure some casualties will come on the offensive line. You know that Zach Kerr is probably not going to get a contract extension. And then, you know, the one strength of the team, they're probably going to have to make some sacrifices too, and that's going to be on defense. Um, you look at desirable spots. You know, you have uh, a list at the Washington Post. You know, the Chargers, they have Justin Herbert. You've got, uh, obviously, the Falcons. They've got some pieces on offense, I guess. Some, and they've been playing well, by the way, uh, the last couple of weeks there. So uh, you got the Bears. They have that great defense, but they got quarterback problems. W- what teams right now that need a coach seem to be the most desirable for you? Two teams in the AFC West. That would be the Los Angeles Chargers and the Denver Broncos. You know, because, you know, the one thing is going to be, this is going to be one of the most difficult assignments next year for anybody going there and anybody going to any team because cap may be down to $175 million. Uh, you, you can pretty much let more players go than you can probably sign. And of course, the one thing is, is that the free agency isn't the Pandora's box that everybody has now found out to be. So even the teams that have the best cap room right now, which would be you know the Jaguars and the Jets, you know are they desirable as bad as their team is? I mean, sure you can get players, but it can't at all fit together in what's going to be a very tight cap. But the reason for the Chargers being the top team is that one, you've got Justin Herbert, you've got a great young quarterback who each week throws for 300 yards. You've got you know the talent on defense is just not playing at the best level. I mean, you know they may not they may lose Melvin Ingram, but you still have Joey Boza, Dar- Darwin Darwin James is going to be coming back from injury. You know, there's some good elements on the defensive line that's going to be there, and then uh, you know they've got uh, you know some good talent at tight end and at wide receiver. Keenan Allen's one of the best in football, so that's desirable. Then you've got the Denver Broncos. You know, we don't know about Drew Locke yet. And that's why they would be below the Chargers. But what they do have is once Cortland Sutton comes back, one of the best three receiver groups in football. AJ Hamler has to come on, but Jeff, uh, Jeff Judy is really good. You know, their offensive line is starting to improve finally after years of failure. You know, Garrett Bowles just got a four-year contract at $17 a year on an extension. So that takes care of the left tackle position. And particularly if they can get Vaughn Miller back on defense, the defense should still be pretty good. So those are the two most desirable jobs. And also, the, the other thing is, do they have cap room? And each team now has about $20 million of cap room. When you look at the Atlanta Falcons, you always think of Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. Now, that is a desirable place, you would think, but is it time to maybe freshen things up down there and go with the whole entire new look as an organization? I don't think so. I think that, and that's not Arthur Blank's uh, modus operandi. I mean, he wants to win, and he wants to win now. And really, when you think about this, because you know, go look at the five worst teams in football with their record. Sure, four of the five made changes uh, with coaches in the last two years, but they're still drafting in the top five or six. That hasn't helped. And then you look at, uh, you know, if you tear it down, can you build it up? 
And you know, because one thing that the Falcons have, you know, they've got the third or fourth highest uh, cap number right now, being over the cap. And you look at their contracts, and there's, it's going to be hard to try to break that up and get those going. But you still have Matt Ryan, you still have Julio Jones, you still have some good parts on defense, and so you have probably of all the teams going to have job openings. Atlanta has. That's why I put them up as high as I did. You know, one of the best chances to bounce back and start to win. John, uh, by the way, check out the article the Washington Post, uh, John Clayton, with all the different uh, job openings and how desirable, because I think you might have to start entering the Eagles into that. But I want to ask you this yeah. question. Um, there are a lot of older veteran quarterbacks right now. Pittsburgh, Roethlisberger, Rivers in Indianapolis, Brady in Tampa Bay, Breeze. Are those teams trade partners this offseason in other words they're too good they're not going to draft a guy so were they interested in trading for a guy like Wentz because we know they can't cut him but would those type of teams be partners for possibly a trade uh, debatable because each of those teams that you bring up that pretty much are on a two-year cycle as far as these quarterbacks because you, know, you figure it's two years for Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh it's two years for uh, Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, you know, uh, and right now it's not working out well for the Tampa Bay part of it because Tom Brady's not fitting into Bruce Arians' offense. And then uh, Drew Brees right now, even you know, you fight, he might retire, but uh, you know, they're they're a mess right now because because again, New Orleans is going to be in the same situation as Philadelphia. They've got to do a complete redo because again, they're so far over the cap, and there's going to be so many cap casualties that there's going to be more losses for talent than gains. So, yeah, I think, you know, you look at maybe San Francisco, that could be one that, uh, you know, might be able to try to do something because right now I think they're reviewing Jimmy Garoppolo and are totally 100% sold on him. And so, uh, you know, but I think that there's going to be more, there's going to be more thinking uh, this off season and it has to be thought fast than any off season we have because, again, with the cap's going to go down to $175 million, you've got major problems. Big time. Uh, John Clayton, I'll leave you with this. You watched that game last night. I know uh, you are very close to that Seattle uh, organization, so you're watching closely. And I wonder, when I watch Seattle, I wonder, their defense, have they gotten better or are they gotten better because Philadelphia is that bad offensively? And are they a legitimate Super Bowl team or are they 8-3 and three because they've gotten a chance to beat up on Philly, Dallas, Washington, you know, that NFC East? No, I mean, they're, they're a legitimate Super Bowl team. Right now, they're not a legitimate Super Bowl defense, that's for sure, but they're a legitimate Super Bowl offense, you know, particularly with DK Metcalf and, you know, Tyler Lockett, uh, Russell Wilson, the running game. That's legitimate. You know, the defense right now, remember, they've gone through, now they haven't faced very many winning teams, but, you know, the teams that they faced at the beginning of the season, the first five games, all had decent quarterbacks, with maybe the exception with Miami and Ryan Fitzpatrick. But, you know, they've been able to get beat up for yards. But now this is a four-week stretch that started last night that they can start to get better on defense. You can see their pass rush has improved. I mean, they go from a 28-sack season last year. Now they have 29, and literally they have about 19 in the last four or five games. Then you can see there's talent in the secondary. I mean, I've never seen a – I mean, really, Troy Palomalo would be the example. But Troy Palomalo – has never had the sacks that Jamal Adams has. I mean, seven games he's played, he's got six and a half sacks. That's incredible. And so they're getting better. They're still not there yet. But in this four-game stretch which started last night, they can get to the point when they play the Rams in Week 16, they can really start to say, okay, let's step up and win the division. You know, They may not catch Green Bay. They might be able to catch New Orleans as far as the top seed. But no, they're a legitimate Super Bowl team. 
Great uh, stuff from John Clayton, as always. Make sure you check out his Washington Post article uh, on the most desirable jobs, and obviously that thing will be evolving. And uh, Sal Powell said it yesterday right here. Uh, he doesn't think Peterson survives a three- or four-win season. Well, I don't see more than four wins on their schedule, so uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. John, it's always a pleasure. Okay, thank you. We love having John a part of the show, and uh, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline, and he has those desirables. We talked about it. And I'm Doug Peterson. He just listed a bunch of places, Detroit, Atlanta, um, Chicago might need a new head coach. I mean, yeah, do you want to get involved? He might be able to reunite with Nikki Foles out there, man. You're doing that to me today, really? That's the road we're going down? Little Doug Peterson, Nick Foles reunite, win a Super Bowl with that defense? It's funny because, exactly, with that defense. Because uh, when I read his article this morning and I'm thinking about the teams, I didn't didn't even put Chicago in there because they still have a coach. But if you're Chicago and they fire Doug Peterson, you would say, man, we're stuck with Nick Foles. We got that contract here. Why don't we get the one guy who got something out of him and bring him here to coach this football team. Right? Yeah, I would use that mindset if I'm them, no doubt. I mean, it can't be any worse than what Matt Nagy's putting together out there. By the way, Nagy's a Reed guy, too. So He is. Uh, Jersey's fastest way to win has a fast-rolling jackpot that grows until it's won. Play fast for your chance to win big with fast play progressive from the New Jersey Lottery because anything can happen in Jersey. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3. Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Sports Bash, Mike and Broads, 97.3 ESPN. That was John Clayton who uh, dropped the knowledge to us, as he always does, right here on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. By the way, uh, tomorrow uh, we will carry the football game tomorrow if they play. It looks like they are going to play the game. I don't know what kind of product you're going to get, but we will have that game 340 tomorrow here on 97.3 ESPN. Um, John Clayton just said something interesting, Broads. He actually asked, if you guys did a poll, what would it be? Roseman, Peterson, or Wentz? And I jokingly say 33 and a third. I think Roseman is probably the guy that people dislike the most. I would agree with you. He would probably get most of the votes. Yeah, he's last on my list. Because I don't. I think he has the least power. I don't know. I'm just struggling on where to put that when I do assess these guys. And I think you're right when you say it's a collaborative effort. But does Doug Peterson have a lot to say? I almost feel like it's Laurie and Roseman versus Doug. So does that mean that Howie Roseman does have more say than maybe you might think? I don't know. The problem is we don't know. But it does feel like it's Doug on his own. And then it's Laurie and Roseman kind of more together. Well, listen to what... uh John Clayton just told us, and I'll get your response after this. The one thing that is going to be tough for him is that if you let Howie go, I mean, you know, Howie kind of runs the show both on the financial side and also the personnel side, but they've, they've done a terrible job as far as drafting wide receivers, you know, and certainly, you know, letting, because I mean, I was even hearing last week that there's been internal riffs about Jefferson versus Rieger with some wanting uh, Jefferson and Jefferson right now being one of the best rookies in the league this year. And, you know, Rieger just starting to come around, but not doing well. So he says there was internal riffs. So is that a situation similar to the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside where maybe Howie Roseman says, 
I like this DK Metcalf. And Jeff Lurie says, no, we're going with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. And Doug Peterson sides with Lurie because I'm not going to go against the owner, so I'll just say I'll take J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Like, what if that was the case? And it could be. Honestly, I know it sounds outrageous, but if we know, or at right. least it has been reported, that Jeffrey Lurie did step in on J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, then, yeah, it, it definitely could be a possibility, without a doubt. Right, exactly, which is why I don't have enough concrete information on Roseman to call him out as the number one problem. If you told me Roseman controls everything, He's the drafter. He's the scout. You know, he's the guy who makes it. Then, yeah, they haven't done a good enough job. But I don't, I just simply don't think that's the case. I just don't. And unfortunately, we won't know unless Howie Roseman isn't here. Someone else is in place as that guy. And then we see the results. We have nothing to compare it to. And that's the problem. If there is someone new and the same mistakes are happening, yeah. then we can look at Lori. If the new guy comes in and it works out well, then you say, hold on a second. Uh, the Eagles have promoted Graylin Arnold from the practice squad. Why is that some news? They released Will Parks today, and apparently one of the reasons is, according to Tim McManus of ESPN, is because they want Arnold to get more playing time. How about that? All right, when we come back, it's a Tuesday with Thompson.